0: you can't get there fast enough or uh, any of that, Uh, we have the verses up on the screen for you. Um, I really just want to get a message across, get a point across. We have been in a series. I said a few weeks ago that this beginning of the new year, I was going to take time to lay the foundation of the kingdom of God. Um, Remember, I've said that the kingdom of God uh, is not just a message. It's not just a series that I'm in right now for the four weeks that You know, we'll be doing this, and it'll go further than that. Um, It is the theme of the Bible. It is why God created man. It is why the earth is here. It is why Jesus came back, and it is why he's coming back again. It is why the church is in the earth. It is why the Bible was written. Uh, Everything that I preach, everything that I say, everything that I have said, is founded in the kingdom principles. Um, When God created the earth, he did not... Uh, just get bored one day and say, let me just create another extension of me, and let's put some humans on there, and I know they're going to fail and and mess it all up, but let's just see where this thing goes. He had it planned out. One thing that I think is exciting to me, and uh, anyone that's in a new goal this year or anyone that's attacking something for 2012, you know, we talked about change and what's the difference going to be, know this in Jeremiah 29, verse 11, one of my favorite verses. Uh, God says, for I know the plans that I have for you to have a future and a hope to prosper you. Something that is exciting to me is that God planned this whole thing out. You know, a lot of us, we have goals and we have things that we want to achieve and we have things that we want to do in life and things that we want to see change and things we want to see get better, things that we want to put down. But we have no plan. We want to do better with our money this year, but we have no financial plan. We want to do better with eating and our weight, but we have no plan as far as weight goal and how we're going to eat and what we're going to eat. And uh, you know, We want to be better parents, but we have no plan on how we're going to parent better and, and train our kids up better. We have to have a plan, and even God had a plan. Now, here's the crazy thing. God knows everything. So when he made the plan, he knew that somewhere in, in the plan... It was going to be a hitch. Somewhere in the plan, someone was, something was going to mess up. Something was going to jack this thing all up. He knew that Adam and Eve were going to do what they did in the garden. We know this. He's all-knowing. There's nothing that happens to God that's a surprise. There's nothing that happens in our daily life. There's no financial crisis or no family thing or no job thing that happens, and God's just walking it out, and he's just as surprised as we are. He's got it all figured out. He knows the answers before we have the problems. Okay? But even knowing that something was going to happen, he still created the plan and still went through with the plan. How many of you, if you planned something but knew it was going to fail somewhere, would still go through with the plan? Probably not. But God still went through with the plan. You know why? Because he had to plan to fix the plan. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, we saw this last week, that as soon as man sinned, Jesus shows up, Or God shows up on the scene, says, Adam, why did you do what you did? He blames it on his wife. Eve, why did you do what you did? She blames it on the snake. And so he goes to the snake and he says, your seed will be cursed. Uh, We're going to raise up another seed that's going to end up crushing you. I mean, he's already got a plan to fix the plan. That's awesome. And we go into things so blindly sometimes. We go into things uh, not knowing what's going to happen uh, I know this is what I want to do, but we have no idea how it's going to take place or what the outcome is going to be. Uh, we got to have plans. God had a plan. In Jeremiah 29:11, he said, I have a plan for you. And then he lays it all out. So this was God's plan. God's plan was to extend his kingdom. How many of you believe God is a king? God is a king. We know this statement. The Bible says that God is a king. He's the owner of the earth by creation. He created it so it belongs to him. Okay, And in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, I don't have time to go over the last two weeks. I'm going to try to get through as quick as I can and get into what we're in now. But in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God does something very important that we have missed over time. He created the earth. He spent five days creating this entire earth. On the sixth day, he creates man. But he doesn't create man just like another creation. He doesn't create man like he created trees. He doesn't create man like he created the animals. How did he create the earth? By speaking it. Now he's putting man in the earth. He forms him out of the dust of the ground. He's actually using what he's already created to form man. We know that he ended up breathing life into man, his own spirit. But he said, I'm going to make this man in my image, in my likeness. We know that that does not mean... To look like him naturally. Not talking on the outside that Adam looked exactly like God. He had the same facial structure and same body type. That's not what what that means. God is a spirit. God isn't even flesh to begin with. What that meant was I'm putting my character and I'm putting the way I do things into this man. That's what he put inside Adam and Eve. And that's what he intended to put inside every single human being that came on the face of the planet. Man will rule over the earth. God is a king, and you cannot be a king without a kingdom. You have to have a territory. You can't just call yourself a king, but you rule over nothing. So God is a king, and his kingdom is in heaven. So he is extending his kingdom. He's saying, I want to create a place in the scene realm that looks just like where I'm at. I'm in heaven, there's no sickness. I'm in heaven, there's no disease. I'm in heaven, there's no pain. I'm in heaven, there's no lack. I'm in heaven, there's no anxiety or worry. I want a place just like that in the scene realm. So he creates the earth. The Garden of Eden was created to look like heaven, have its form, have its nature. Everything about it was to be like heaven. But then he takes Adam and Eve, this man that he's created differently from everything else, And he puts him in charge of it. He said in in Genesis 1.26, Let them have dominion. Let them rule over the earth. He's not ruling it from heaven. The statement, God is in control, cannot be in your vocabulary anymore. Because he's turned over authority and rulership. And he's basically saying, I'm placing man into that garden that I created. Now he calls the shots, but here's the key. Adam and Eve were to call the shots, were to have rulership and dominion and authority. Remember he says, rule over the birds of the air, the fish over the sea, everything that creeps on the earth, and over all the earth. So man is now supposed to, Adam and Eve call the shots. After that, notice who's doing what in the earth. Who named the animals, God or Adam? Adam. The things that are happening in the earth are now in man's control. They're now He's the one calling the shots. Now here's the key. Adam and Eve were to rule the earth and control the earth according to how God rules the earth. That's why he was made in his image. God's basically saying, the way that I would rule that territory if I were there, that's what I want Adam to do. That's how I want Adam to rule over the earth. But there was one thing that Adam could give himself to, that could take that authority away, and that was called disobedience. We call it sin. We call it sin. But sin, no matter what form, I don't care if you cheat on a test or cheat on your wife, I don't care if you hit your brother or you kill somebody. Sin is simply disobedience to what God says. That's all that sin is. Just breaking it down. So, God starts handing out instructions and control and uh, rules, basically, to Adam. Be fruitful and multiply. Uh, Tend the garden. Take care of it. Cultivate the earth. Make sure that it continues to function and do what I've placed in it to do. So it was up to Adam to do these things. We think of the Garden of Eden as this paradise where they're just laying around in the grass just singing songs and Praising God, that's all I'm here to do is just worship God. So 24-7, I'm just worshiping God. And that's not the case. They had job assignments. People want to go to the garden but they don't realize there's work there. They're cultivating the garden. They're tending it. They're keeping it. But guess what was taken care of? Everything. They weren't looking, or they weren't looking around the garden. What are we going to eat today? What are we going to drink today? Uh, where are we going to live? None of that. You know why? As long as they were doing what God asked them to do, they were taken care of. And that's all that God ever required of man was obedience. Just obey what I'm asking you to do, and I will take care of all that. I will take care of what you eat. I'll take care of what you drink. I'll take care of where you live and where you work and how, how you pay for stuff. I'll take care of all that. They didn't have to worry about that. But Adam and Eve were given one other commandment. Do not eat. Of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And we looked at this last week. Notice that God did not warn. He did not send a warning to Adam and Eve and say, Now listen, there's a snake in this garden. And he's a tricky guy. He's a cunning. Okay, He's going to try to lie to you. And he's going to try to tell you that you know you can disobey me. And you can be better than me. And you can do this on your own. But don't listen to him. Okay? Can you find anywhere in the Bible where God told Adam and Eve that there was a snake in there that was going to try to do all that? No. He didn't even tell Adam and Eve that there was an enemy to him. All that Adam and Eve know is that there's a God. He created all this stuff for us, and he wants us to take care of it. That's all they know. So he's asked me to tend it, so I'll tend it. He's asked me to cultivate it, so I'll cultivate it. He's asked me not to eat of that tree, then I won't eat of the tree. And remember, you know, we always say, well, if I was in the garden, I wouldn't have eaten the fruit. That's that's so easy. There's a million trees. I wouldn't eat the fruit. But it wasn't the fruit that was talking to them. It was what the fruit represented. The fruit represented self-rule. It was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That means that Adam and Eve did not know evil. And we talked about this on Wednesday. We've been talking about the Holy Spirit, that... The knowledge of evil brings with it a desire to do it. That's called temptation. You can't be tempted to do something you don't know about. I mean, Paul, when he was writing Romans, he said, you know, the law tells me do not covet. Without the law, I don't know that I'm not supposed to covet. You know, you've got the Ten Commandments. Do not lie, do not steal, do not uh, commit adultery, uh, you know, do not, you know, worship other gods. So guess what that brought with it? A desire to want to do all that. Now that I know about stealing, I want to steal. Now, why? Because there's a sin nature attached to that. And so the devil, Satan, in the garden, all he's trying to do is get Adam and Eve to make a decision on their own outside of God. That's it. And God didn't have to tell them and warn them about an enemy. He just, he just expected that, look, my word is enough. I've told you not to eat the tree. That's all you need. Just don't eat the tree. It doesn't matter who's in the garden telling you to eat the tree. It doesn't, tell, it doesn't matter what the tree represents. It doesn't matter what the tree can give you. None of that matters. Just don't eat the tree. Very simple. So God's word, God's command, is all that Adam and Eve needed to sustain their life. Just obey what I'm asking you to do. Well, we know what happened. Adam and Eve ate the fruit. And Adam and Eve, when they ate the fruit... They did not get locked out of heaven. Where did Adam and Eve come from? Did they come from heaven? No, I just told you that they were formed out of the dust of the earth. They came out of the earth. So why all of a sudden are we as lost people when we come into the kingdom and we get saved and born again, we're all of a sudden looking for a way to get to heaven? I'm not saying you won't go to heaven. I'm not changing that at all. The Bible is very clear that there is a heaven. There is a hell, and you'll go to one place when you die. Very clear. Not saying that at all. But what is the purpose? That's what we're after. Because when God created Adam and Eve, they weren't, you know, going about their business in the garden of Eden and saying, "You know, one day we're going to get to go to heaven." Wasn't their purpose. Wasn't their intention. And when last week we talked about restoration, and the Bible says that Jesus has restored us. And we went through the life of Jesus, the time he was born, and what was he talking about? The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God looks like this, and the kingdom of God looks like this, and the kingdom of God is like this. And, and it's over here, and it's over there. That's all he was talking about was the kingdom. And we think Jesus was pointing to heaven. He never once pointed to heaven. He talked about there is a place that I will go. There's a place that I will go. But for you... In fact, in John chapter seventeen, he was praying to God about his disciples. He's getting ready to die on the cross. He's in the most the, the worst struggle of his entire life. That's when he says, you know, if it's if it if there's any way, let this cut pass. But not my will, your what's he doing? He's staying true to you've commanded me to do this, so I'm just gonna do it. He's doing exactly what God required of man. He's the perfect example. But when he was praying in the garden, he said, Father, I don't ask. You gave me these 12 disciples. You gave them to me. And I've done well with them. I trained them up. They followed me. I've I've given them your word. I've shown them how to obey your word. I've shown them uh, how powerful your word is. So I don't ask that you take them out of the world. He's getting ready to go and die on the cross and rise again. For what we all think is access to heaven. But that's not what Jesus is saying. John chapter 17. Read it. He says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. I ask that you keep them from the evil one. Keep them in the world. Keep them in this earth. Why? Because if we receive Jesus and then die and go to heaven then we aren't actually fulfilling what he died on the cross for. Because he did not die on the cross and rise again so we could go to heaven. We will go to heaven. That is a byproduct. But he died on the cross so sin could be taken out of you so you could once again do what God wanted us to do on the earth. He, God wants us to do what Adam and Eve were doing. Be about his business. God wants us to do what he originally created man in the garden to do. Take care of my earth. It is, not, it, is, it is not God's will that we come to church, come down here, and what we call repent. Repentance is not you know, coming down here on your knees and, and asking God to forgive you and saying you'll never do it again and, and then walking back. That's not repentance. The actual word repent means to change your thinking. It means to change the way you perceive something, change the way you think about something. And so Jesus came into the earth and he said, Repent. The kingdom is at hand. What's he saying? He's saying, I'm getting ready to bring you a message that's going to require you to change your thinking. So this morning, that's what we're all having to do. That's what we're all having to do. Every time we come to church on Sunday, every time we come to church on Wednesday, every time we hear the word, every time we read the word, we have a requirement to change our thinking. Why? Because our thinking now is geared to think like this world. Our mindset is geared to think the way the enemy wants you to think. Because sin nature came in when Adam and Eve sinned. That came in. There's no one that's been born except for Jesus that was born outside of that. I mean, my son turns one tomorrow. And he has a problem with the word no. Now, you know, we laugh about it. And, you know, it's, it's cute. And I say no. And he keeps crawling to the thing I'm telling him to get away from. But what is that? That's sin nature. You know, it's funny and cute, ha-ha, you know, he's, he's, you know, just being a cute little boy. But that's sin nature, to automatically do what you're not supposed to do. That young, man, I mean, that's unbelievable. And he's been doing that for a couple months. As soon as he could crawl, he got into a position, I mean, it was like as if until he was able to crawl, he was just laying there looking around at everything saying, man, when I'm crawling, I'm going to touch that. I'm going to go grab that. I'm going to do that. Everything my parents don't want me to do, I'm going to do that. And what is that? That's sin nature. Now, yes, he's a child. And I'm not saying he's cursed of the devil. I'm just saying that's the sin nature that's within everybody to automatically, as soon as you're born into the world, you have a momentum towards sin, a momentum towards disobedience. That's what was let in. And not only that, but Adam and Eve did not lose heaven. Adam and Eve did not lose, uh, you know, just the relationship with God. They lost the dominion and the authority in the earth to where now man's been fighting to get it back. And they don't even know it. We're going to look at that today. The title of my message today is God Nation. It's a term that uh, you might not be familiar with, but uh, in the sports arena especially, Uh, people like to turn themselves a nation. Uh, For example, the Boston Red Sox, their fans are called Red Sox Nation. Uh, Tim Tebow with all his stuff now, I've seen it on Facebook and stuff, Tebow Nation. I've seen it. What does that mean? Here's the thing about a nation, because we're going to talk about a nation today. That's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk, I'm going to show you through the Bible. There's not one person in the Bible that was trying to get to heaven. You won't find it. Abraham, Moses, David, uh, no matter how great the person was, Paul, not one person was trying to get to heaven. They were trying to be a nation of people. Here's the thing about a nation. For us, you know, a lot of times, and, you know, I've got the map up there. You can see the, the map in the background. But for a lot of us, we take nation and we make it geographical. We say, you know, that's the nation of Africa, or that's the nation of America, or that's the nation of China. But a nation actually is referring to a people grouping, to a type of people. That's what a nation is referring to. A nation is not referring just to a landmass. It's not referring to the United States of America, or Texas, or Canada, or any of that. That's not what a nation refers to. Nation is actually talking about a group of people. And to, today, the how my message is God-nation because we're going to talk about the group of people that God has been trying to raise up from the beginning. From the beginning. Amen? So let's go over uh, Genesis chapter 128. Again, I've got a lot of verses, and I pray that we can get through this. Father, I thank you this morning for your word. I thank you that it will uh, come out of me bold and purposeful. Father, I thank you that I speak words of life this morning, and I will be a good steward of my time. Holy Spirit, speak through me. It's not me. It's the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. Let's start there. Start at the very beginning. Remember we've said. If you want to understand the intention of something or why something was created, you always go to the beginning because things get lost over time. And um, we've lost what the Bible is all about Uh We've, we've lost what Jesus came for. we lost what God came to do. And so we need to get back the original purpose. I call it the original intent. This is God's original intent. This was his intention for man. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. Then God blessed them. This is right after he created man. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. That's talking about expansion. He wasn't expecting this thing to just stay in the garden. He was expecting this thing to expand. Over in Isaiah, the Bible says, uh, over in Isaiah it says that the Lord created the earth to be inhabited, to be lived upon. Okay? So, he's saying, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion. That means control or to manage or to rule. That's what that word means over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. Remember, we looked at different people throughout the Bible that had control, that animals were working for man. There's a prophet in the Old Testament that ravens would actually bring him meat. They'd bring him bread and meat. I mean, they're basically bringing him a, a, a Happy Meal, you know, bringing him a hamburger. Uh, we know that Jesus commanded Peter that when it was time to pay his taxes to go fishing, and out of a fish's mouth. Okay, so this is the control, this is the dominion that he's asking us to have, and that he's given man to have over every living thing that moves on the earth. But the main thing I want to focus on here is be fruitful and multiply. Now let's look over at Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. I mentioned this just a minute ago. This is now Adam and Eve have sinned, they've given up their right to the earth, they've given up their authority, and now God has a few things to say to them and he's talking to the enemy here and he says in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 and i will put enmity or division between you and the woman he's talking to the snake between your seed and her seed seed is reference to people that are continuing to come notice here that man has just screwed it all up they've just jacked it all up this thing this plan that god had in place it's over done so we think. And he's still talking about seed. God is still talking about people coming from people. He hasn't given up. He didn't say, forget it, Let, you know, let's just all come to heaven. That's the better place to be. He's still trying to occupy the earth. He's still working this thing out. How can I get man to continue to do what I placed them there to do? I mean, the plan's just just gone down the drain, man. And not only did uh, man lose the authority, but now it's been given to God's enemy. Now the exact person that he doesn't want to have control over the earth has control over the earth. And he's still working a plan to get this thing fixed. Her seed. He's making reference to seed. He's making reference to uh, the continuation. People uh, continuing to give birth. Genesis chapter 6. Go to Genesis chapter 6. Now, we're at Noah. We all know about Noah. Noah built an ark because God came to bring rain. God wanted to flood the earth and get rid of people, right? He said, this is it. This is it. We're, forget it. We'll just we'll wash this whole earth thing away. Get rid of people. But, wait a minute. He left eight people out. If he's going to wipe everybody off the face of the planet, he just gave eight people Continued access to the earth. Look at this in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 9. The genealogy of Noah. Noah was, was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. This is what God is looking for. Throughout this, you will notice this common theme. The people that God picks to use... Walked with God. They were righteous people. And no matter what their weakness, no matter what their sinfulness, there were people that just desired to obey God. And Noah and his family. Could you imagine? You were the only righteous person on the face of the planet. This earth right here is so corrupt that God would literally cause it to rain for 40 days straight and flood the entire earth. That is how evil and sinful these people have gotten. This is the same verse, or this is the same passage earlier in a, around verse one of Genesis chapter six, where God actually says, "I can no longer, uh, my spirit can no longer strive or abide with man," and He actually had to withdraw His spirit. Remember when He breathed into man, that was His spirit going into man. That was God going into man, so man could do things on the earth like God. And now he's saying, man is so sinful, man is so corrupt, man is so against me, that I I actually have to withdraw my spirit from the earth. I can no longer abide with him. And so now we're looking at Noah, and he's got three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Verse 11, the earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. Violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt For all flesh had corrupted their way. Now let's go down to verse 17. Verse 17. And behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh, in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But, but I will establish my covenant with you. He's talking to Noah. You shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your son's wives, eight of them. And every living thing of all the flesh you shall bring, two of every sort into the ark, to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds after their... I mean, this is is a children's story. We read this as kids, and we read this to our kids. But this is a plan to reestablish what he was trying to do in Genesis with Adam and Eve. Why is he bringing male and female? Because male and female is required to continue this thing on. He's bringing the animals. He's saying, right here, he's saying, I'm going to start over. But why is he establishing covenant? And remember I, I said a couple of weeks ago, everything that I've preached up until now is just getting you ready for what I'm saying. We talked about covenant. And we talked about that God requires man in the earth. I know that I know that may sound weird I'm, I know that may God God doesn't need me he can do whatever he wants no he needs you because here's the thing about God he's a king when a king says something it becomes a law when a king makes a law they cannot overturn it in a real kingdom a real true kingdom and I know this is hard to wrap around because we don't see kingdoms We see democracy, and we see opinions, and we see voting, and we see uh, I do what I want to do, and you do what you want to do, and we're all good with it. That's what we see. But this is about a kingdom. Here's what a kingdom is. One person has to say, and everybody underneath it doesn't. it. is a kingdom. And that's what we live in. And we don't even know it. So, God created a law. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, and we just read in verse 28. Let them have dominion. So now God is requiring man on the earth to do anything that God wants to do in the earth. The kingdom only gets in the earth through you. Jesus said the kingdom of God is within you. It's not here or there. It's not with observation. You can't say, hey, there it is or over there it is. He said the kingdom of God is in you. Why? because he's placed the kingdom within his agents that are going to carry the kingdom around. So that means when you go to your job, you're not just going to to your job as you, you're going to your job as a kingdom agent. I am now a representative of the kingdom of God. I am now here to show people the kingdom. I can show customers, I can show my employees, I can show my employers, I can show my coworkers what the kingdom of God looks like. Everyone else in the world, when someone comes in and, you know, they're, they're rubbing them the wrong way and they get impatient and they cuss them out or they tell them, you know, who they really are, I get to represent the kingdom and operate in love. I get to operate in patience. I get to operate in joy. I get to operate in peace. When I go to my job and everybody's concerned about losing their job and they're all frantic, I get to represent the kingdom and say, no, you know, in my kingdom, my king provides for me. He just asked that I obey his word. So as long as I obey his word, he's providing for me. This job is not my provision, so guess what? I have peace. And we get to smile, and everyone looks at you weird, and they get to say, who are you, and what are you doing? But guess what? They said the same thing to Jesus. They killed him. So they're not going to agree with you. They're not going to be excited about you. In fact, they, you might actually make them angry. Your peace and your joy and your love, when, when they... Expect you to respond improperly and you respect with you respond with the word and you respect them and, and you respond with love, you, you might actually get them angry. Just go ahead and let you know that. Okay? But that's just the kingdom of God working in you to the earth. So he's establishing covenant with Noah. The covenant is necessary because a covenant says, I do my part and you do your part, and we accomplish a common goal. I will make you a great nation. I will extend this kingdom through you and through your family, and you just obey what I'm asking you to do. That's it. Okay? Now here's the problem, though, at this point. Jesus hasn't died on the cross, and sin nature is still in the earth. So let's keep on going. Genesis chapter 6. Uh Verse 17, we read all that. Um, Okay, so those are the instructions going into the ark. Let's go down to chapter 9. Let's go down to chapter 9. Chapter 9, verse 1. This is after they get off the ark. Waters have come down, and now God is giving instruction. Does this sound familiar? Let's read it. So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. How many of you feel like you're reading Genesis chapter 1 all over again? What's he doing? He's just trying to restart the plan. He hasn't given up. The thing that he wanted in the garden is what he wants with Noah. Okay, verse 2. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth, on every bird of the air, all that move on the earth, and all that the fish of the sea, they are given into your hand. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things, even as the green herbs. So again, he's saying, be fruitful and multiply. These are my instructions. And I will take care of you. I'm giving you food. I'm giving you drink. I'm I'm taking care of your family. Okay? Genesis chapter 10, verse 32. Genesis chapter 10, verse 32. These were the families of the sons of Noah, according to their generations in their nations. And look at this. And from these, the nations were divided on the earth after the flood. Nations. People groupings. A group of people. We're talking about a nation today. Nations were divided on the earth. So this be fruitful multiply thing is happening taking place. That's awesome. Okay? Let's keep going. Genesis chapter 12. The nations are starting to take place. Genesis chapter 12. We know someone that was promised a nation. In Genesis chapter 1, 12, verse 1, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. And I will make you a great what? Religion? Belief? A great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In one man. In one man that can't even have children. This guy's, at this point, Abraham is 75 years old. In fact, his name is still Abram. He's not even Abraham yet. He's Abram. And he, God's telling him, out of you, who can't even have kids, and you're beyond childbearing age, you are have, you're going to be a great nation. 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 God is not trying to get religion into the earth. God is trying to get a people in the earth a people that live according to a kingdom. Now, I need to make an allusion here real quick. Go back up to verse 1. Back up to verse 1 and look at the instructions he's given. Now, the Lord has said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house. What's he doing? He's looking for obedience. He's asking a man to leave everything he's ever known and go to a place, and he says... That I will show you. Now, it'd be one thing for me to say, Chuck, as God, Chuck, get up, take your family, take everything that you know, and go to Texas. Okay? But He's not even given a location. He's just saying, just start walking, and I will show you. Just start taking steps. That's difficult. Abraham was probably one of the most tested men in all the Bible. and you get on down and he has one son, one son. I mean, there are some people in the Bible that were having kids left and right, man. got 12 kids, 15 kids, and you got, you're going to make the man that has one son the father of many nations? Silly stuff. That's the Bible. I love it. I love it. And this man is so tested. Now God's asking him, later on, God asked him to take the one son. And to do what? Kill him. Sacrifice him. I mean, Abraham's just like, look, man, I've left my house. I've left my families, I've left all my fields. I've left the land. And I just started walking, and you're still telling me you're taking me to a land that you're going to show me. Uh, You finally give me a child, and now you want me to... He had—I don't know about you—but he had every right to say, "No, I've done all that, but you ain't taking my son. I've got a son. There ain't no way I'm taking Camden and putting him on no altar. You gotta be kidding me." And this is—and this dude—he didn't even have Isaac until he was a hundred years old. <laughs> so I mean, you ain't getting another shot. This is it, right here. It took you a hundred years. And God's already taken man's life to 120 years, so, I mean, you're, there ain't no, this ain't happening here. Abraham was tested, and it says, that his, it says that his faith was accounted to him as unto righteousness. Righteousness. That's exciting. So he's just looking for obedience. Here's the other part of this. Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land. God has taken us out of a land. That we once knew. He's asking us to be representatives in a land, in the earth, of heaven. Now, you have to look at heaven as a country, and that is your home country. In fact, Paul says that we are citizens of heaven. Uh, Another verse, he says that you are foreigners and aliens on the earth, which means you're not really from here. So, what he's asking Abraham to do, he's asking every single one of us to do go into your jobs. That's uncomfortable. Go into your workplaces. Go into your communities. Go into your son's baseball games. Go into your sports arenas and be my kingdom agent. That's what he's asking. Be my representative. That's the same thing he was asking of Abraham. Abraham is the first prototypical kingdom person. And all, all the tests and everything he went through proved that out. All right, let's go on down. Uh, Genesis chapter 25. So we know Abraham. We know uh, I don't have time to break down each person we're talking about today, but we know Abraham had a son, Isaac, and ended up being the father of many nations. Now Isaac marries a girl named Rebecca. She's also barren. Let's go to Genesis chapter 25. Genesis 25 verse 21. Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his plea and. Rebecca, his wife, conceived verse 22. But the children struggled together within her, and she said, "If all is well, why am I like this?" She went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, Two what nations are in your womb. Two peoples." Shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other. You notice here that he's looking at this seed. Remember, we went all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, talking about seed. He's looking at the seed in the earth. He's looking at people as nations. He's trying to establish a people, a nation, a group of people. So, nations. All right, so here we go. How many of you like history? How many of you enjoy history? Not, not very many, that's all right. I, I love history. I love history, and that's basically what we're doing today. We're giving a history lesson. I'm going all the way back to Adam and Eve, and before we're done, we're going to be in revelations, and I pray we're going to get it done quick. Nations, God is trying to bring a nation. Now, here's what happened. We all know about Joseph, okay? We're, we're having kids. We got Jacob and Esau. Those were the two nations that were at war within Rebekah. And Jacob has 12 sons. One of his sons is Joseph. Now Joseph, he's a young boy, and he was actually Jacob's favorite. Jacob, uh, his wife as well, was also barren. She couldn't have kids. uh, Joseph was the first one that his wife was finally able to have. He had 11 other, uh, 10 other children, 10 other boys, all boys. That's a football team right there. Uh, he had ten other boys uh, from a, from different women. But this was the first one, and he, he loved uh, Rachel was her name. He loved Rachel of more than all of them. And so Joseph is born. That's his favorite. And he gives him a colorful coat. And remember, Joseph starts having dreams. And he's the, the silly kid he is. Guys, guess what? Going, to, You don't run to your big brothers and say, guess what? One day you're going to bow down to me. I mean, you're asking for uh, going in the toilet or a swirly or something, man, getting beat up, y- yeah, wedgie. I mean, you're asking for it, telling your brothers, your older brothers. And they finally got tired of it. He had two different dreams and said, you guys are going to bow down to me. Hey, even you, Dad, you're even going to bow down to me. Well, obviously his brothers got tired of hearing it, so they throw him in a pit. They go back to Jacob and say, you know, he died out in the wilderness. They end up selling him into slavery, so his dad thinks he's dead. He gets sold into slavery, goes to Potiphar's house, and man, the story of Joseph, I could do weeks on Joseph, man. Awesome. Awesome people of God that we're talking about today. And so Joseph... You just notice he just does right at every position. And no matter what happened in the previous position, he never gave up and he kept pursuing the dream. So finally one day he ends up getting before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. I mean, this is the big man. This is it. Pharaoh, the top dog. This is it. And he goes to Pharaoh and he has a dream. Pharaoh has a dream and he interprets the dream for him. And he says, you're going to have seven good years. And you're going to have seven bad years. Seven years of famine. So he says, here's what you need to do. You, during the seven good years, you need to take in the crop, store it up, and then save it. And then when the seven bad years come, you've got enough to feed your nation. So here's what happened. Egypt followed his command. Joseph ends up becoming second in command. Now all the other countries... Just as, just as he forewarned, they had seven good years. Now we're in seven bad years. Famine has come across the earth. And now all the other nations, all the other countries, guess where they're going to get food? Egypt. Now here's what happened. And we know, you know, Joseph's brothers ended up being a part of that group that came to get food. They eventually ran out of money. They were going to Egypt and giving them money and going back with food. I think I put the verses in here. Genesis chapter 47. Here's where we're at. Genesis chapter 47. I didn't put it in here, so you're going to have to put it up there for me. When the year had ended, they came to him the next year and said to him, We will not hide from my Lord that our money is gone. They've run out of money. And they're still in famine. My Lord also has our herds of livestock. They ended up giving over livestock. Look, take our animals. We just need food. There is nothing left in sight but our bodies and our lands. This is God's people, by the way. Egypt is not God's people. This is God's people coming to Egypt. This is God's people going to Egypt and selling Everything they own. Selling livestock, paying money. And now they say, look, all we have left is our bodies and our lands. What's the next verse? Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for bread, and we and our land will be servants of Pharaoh. You see where we're going? Give us seed. That we may live and not die, that the land may not be desolate. So, this leads right up to God's people being in slavery in Egypt. This is how they ended up in slavery. I never had looked at this before until a couple of years ago. You never asked, well, how did they even get into slavery? That's how. Because of what Joseph predicted. And God's people ended up going into slavery. And now let's go to Exodus chapter 1. Exodus chapter 1, moving right along. Exodus chapter 1, verse 7. Actually, can you go to verse 6? I think we need to go there first. Exodus chapter 1, verse 6. Joseph died and all his brothers and all of that generation. But the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly, multiplied and grew exceedingly mighty, and the land was filled with them. Notice that God's people are still growing strong. This be fruitful and multiply thing, still happening. They're in slavery to a whole another region, a whole other country. Still taking place. Now look what verse 8 says. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who didn't know Joseph. See, the Pharaoh with Joseph, they were tight. Joseph had pretty much saved his country with this dream. But now we've got a new Pharaoh, Joseph is dead, and now we've got a problem. Verse 9, and he said to his people, look at the people of the children of Israel. They are more and mightier than we. I mean the children of Israel God's people are still they're growing strong they're growing mighty they're growing in many numbers verse 10 Come let us deal shrewdly with them lest they multiply and it happen in the event of war that they join our enemies and fight against us So now Pharaoh is concerned that these people that are in slavery will one day end up joining forces with their enemies and fight against them cuz they're not on the same side I mean they're slaves To the Egyptians. Okay? Verse 11. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens. They built for Pharaoh supply cities. Verse 12. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. You can't take God's people out. You cannot take God's people out. So basically, here's where we're at. We know... Who's getting ready to show up on the scene here? A man named Moses. Because God has still promised deliverance. In fact, if you go back to Abraham, when he laid out his covenant and laid out, you're going to be a father of many nations, he told him that his people would go into slavery. 430 years they were in slavery. 430 years. I mean, generations and generations. There were people born in slavery that didn't even know why they were in slavery. Didn't, couldn't, couldn't remember. So now Moses shows up on the scene. We know Moses came in, went to Pharaoh ten times, said, let my people go. Ten plagues came. Finally, Pharaoh said, okay, fine, take them, get out of here. And they go, they cross the Red Sea, and now they're in the wilderness. God has delivered his people. And guess where they're headed? They are headed to the promised land. Guess who that land was promised to? Abraham. Abraham. When we read that God was taking him to a land that he was going to show him, that was the land. It's called Canaan. Promised land was a land called Canaan. And if you look on your biblical maps in the back of your Bible, it's a big old place. That's where God wanted his people. That was a promised land. Notice that these people are seeking a location in the earth. Was Abraham looking for heaven? Nope. Was Moses looking for heaven? Nope. Joseph looking for heaven? Nope. Every single one of them are after the promised land in the earth, here. Okay, so now we have Moses. He's taking them out into the wilderness. But we know, actually let's go to Exodus 19, Exodus chapter 19. Exodus 19, verses 5 and 6. Now therefore, this is God talking with the people that are in the wilderness, his people. These are his people. Therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. Look at this in verse 6. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy what? Nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. He's telling Moses, this is what you're going to tell them. Now, back to verse 5. Does that sound familiar? If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. All along, what's God been looking for? Obedience. Obey me. Don't eat of the tree. Get out of the land that I'm calling you out of. Go and possess this land. Just obey. It's all he's looking for. Simple obedience. But now we know that the people in the wilderness, they became grumblers and complainers. And they fought against Moses and they fought against God. And by the, thing, by the time this thing is done, they're just getting wiped out. In fact, there's one part here. Let's go to Exodus chapter 32. <clears throat> Exodus chapter 32. This is, Moses has just gotten the Ten Commandments. And we know what they did. What were they doing? Building idols, partying, worshipping anything else but God. And Moses is up on the mountain trying to get a word from God. Okay? The leader's away and the mice will play. And so Moses is now coming down and he just got a face-to-face talk with God and got ten laws on tablets. So you know he's fired up. He just got to hear all the laws. And now he's coming down and they're just partying it up. God is even more furious. Exodus 32, verse 7. And the Lord said to Moses, Go, get down, for your people whom you have brought... I love it. He says, for your people. For your people who you brought... Out of the land of Egypt. Have corrupted themselves. There's that corruption again. Same thing with Noah. They have turned aside quickly. Out of the way which I commanded them. Sound familiar? They have made themselves a molded calf. Worshipped it. Sacrificed to it. And said this is your God O Israel. That brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses. I have seen this people. And indeed, it is a stiff-necked people, or stubborn. Now therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and and I may consume them, and I will make you a great nation. He's saying what he just got done telling Noah. Get out of the way, and I will start over with you. You think God at any point is getting tired of starting over? You think at any point he's saying, they're just not getting it. They're not understanding it. But he has a plan. He's got a plan. He has a plan to get this thing all worked out. But every time, he's not saying, forget it, wipe them all out, let's just all go to heaven. Forget it, wipe out the earth, wipe out man, and I'll just hang, up, hang out up here with my angels. He's not saying that. He's saying, I will make you a great nation. He's already promised Noah, I will make you a great nation. He's already promised Abraham, I will make you a great nation. He already said that out of uh, Rebekah's womb was coming two more nations. Nation, nation, nation. This is all he's talking about. He's just wanting to start this thing over. But then, in verse 11, Moses pleaded with the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does your wrath Burn hot, look, he turns the tables here. Burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power, with a mighty hand. And he goes on to say, Look, if you do this thing, the Egyptians are going to laugh at you. The Egyptians are going to mock you. They're going to say, Is this the God that brought his people out of Egypt to just die in the wilderness? And so he actually keeps God from smoldering everybody and just getting rid of the whole group. There's several times. There's one time where there's nothing Moses could do. And Moses had to say, look, you're either for me or you're against me. And then the earth opened up and swallowed them. That's a pretty dangerous situation. I mean, there's no meet me in the middle. There's no halfway. If you're on the fence, it's if you're here, get here. Because if you're there, you're about to go down there. That's not a fun place to be. So God, you know, he's ready to start over. He's looking to start over. Okay? Now, we've gotten up to Moses. After Moses, we obviously know Moses couldn't even go into Canaan. He actually ended up disobeying God himself. God told him the the people were complaining about water. And so one time he said, go and strike the rock. Strike the rock, and water will come out. So Moses went up and hit the rock. Water came out. This happened again. People were complaining about water. And God said, go to the rock and speak to it, and tell water to come forth. Well, Moses, whatever, I'll hit it. I hit it last time, and it worked. I'll hit it again. He goes up and smacks it, and God says, good job, Moses. Water still came out, but he said, you just got yourself kicked out of Canaan. You ain't going in. And Moses is saying, come on, come on, come on. And he's saying, fine, look, I'll take you to this hill. You can look at it, but you ain't going in. Obedience. He's looking for obedience. That means don't do it the same way every time. God is not wanting to get us in a rut. God is not wanting church to look like it looked last time. He just wants us to obey him. What does he want us to do now, today? And a lot of times we say, well, it worked for me last time. That's not what he's asking for. He's asking for you to do it this way, this time. It got Moses kicked out of seeing the promised land. And this is the whole reason why Moses was born. I mean, Moses at the age of two is put in a river so Pharaoh doesn't kill him. I mean, just a mess. And he's born, goes into, goes into Egypt, gets all the people out, spends 40 years with the whole mess and then can't even go into it. That seems like a gyp. You think God's somewhere and can say, oh, okay, fine, well, I'll let you go in for a little. No. That's how tight he is to his law. That's how tight he is to the word that he gives. So Joseph, or uh, not Joseph, Joshua. Moses raised up a man named Joshua, Joshua and Caleb. And Joshua takes the people into the promised land. Now, i got to take you back real quick to Exodus chapter uh, Exodus chapter 34. Exodus chapter 34. Now, this is after the whole situation where Moses comes down the mountain, sees everyone doing their thing, and God punishes them. He didn't get rid of them, but he punishes them. In fact, nobody went into the Canaan land that came out of Egypt. They were in the wilderness 40 years, and only 20 and under could go in. So that means the people that went into Canaan and went into the promised land were born in the, or born in the wilderness. So nobody that came out of Egypt got to go in. That's how frustrated he was with that whole mess. But Exodus chapter 34, God does something that sounds a lot like what we've been reading. Verse 10, 34 verse 10. And he said, Behold, I make a covenant. Before all your people I will do marvels such as not have not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation. Because I'm calling you to be a different nation. And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord. For it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. This sounds awesome. This sounds great. He's saying, I want to use these people and I'm going to do awesome things with you. For it is an awesome thing that I do. Verse 11. Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I am driving out from before you the Amorite, and the Canaanite, and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Hivite, and the Gentiles. What's he saying? All the people that are in the land that is yours, I'm already going before you and driving them out. He's doing all the work. Take heed to yourself, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you are going, lest it be a snare in your midst. But you shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, and cut down their wooden images. For you shall worship no other god for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they play the harlot with their gods, and make sacrifice to their gods, and one of them invites you, and you eat of his sacrifice. You take of his daughters for your sons, and his daughters play the harlot with their gods. And make your sons play the harlot. What's he doing? He's saying, you stay true to me. Let me tell you what he's doing. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Do not be conformed, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know what he's telling them? He's telling, when you go into the land of the Amorite, when you go into the land of the Jebusite, when you go into these lands, you change them. They don't change you. You tear down their altars. You tear down their sacrifices. You get rid of their idols. You get rid of their gods. And you stay true to me, and you get them to worship me. That's what he's saying. And remember, he started the whole thing off saying, look, I'm going to do awesome things. I'm going to do things that you have never seen with you. Well, this didn't last very long. Judges, chapter 2. Judges, chapter 2. We're going somewhere. I'm going to tell you right now, everything that God has been dealing with with these people, he's still dealing with it today. He's asking people to be obedient to his word. He's asking people, do not conform to what's around you. He's asking people to transform what's around you. Allow the kingdom to work in you, so you can then reveal the kingdom to this world. He's still asking the same thing today. Judges chapter 2. Verse 11. Then the children of Israel, verse 10. I just remembered I needed to go back one verse. Look what happened. When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord, nor the work which he had done for Israel. Parents, it is absolutely important It should be a dominant factor in our lives that we are passing on the word and a lifestyle of the kingdom to our children. Whose fault is this? The new generation? No. The former generation. Why do they not know about the work that God performed? Why do they not know about Jericho? Because that happened. Joshua took them in, the first thing that happened is they go to a city that's surrounded by walls. And God tells them, seven days, walk around it. And on the seventh day, shout. And the walls will come down. The dumbest uh, war tactic ever. You ever gone into battle doing that? No. Carry machine guns and rocket launchers and tanks. You don't just walk around someone's city and just go crazy on the last day and just watch the thing come down. doesn't happen. Why don't anybody know that? It says, nor the work which he had done. That's terrible. So look what happened in verse 11. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals, the gods. Exactly what God asked them not to do. Verse 12, and they forsook the Lord God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt, and they followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were all around them. Exactly what he's telling them not to do. And they bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. They forsook the Lord and served Baal and the Astaroth, or however you say that, and the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, so he delivered them into the hands of plunderers who despoiled them. And he sold them into the hands of their enemies all around so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. Do you remember when I just read that he said, if you stay true to me, I will actually go before you and remove your enemies. Now, he's unleashing their enemies on them. Look, I'm telling you right now, if you don't have God working for you, you got everything working against you. Period. There is no middle road. Well, I don't have to serve God, but I don't have to deal with all these. Try it. If you don't make God a priority in your life, if you don't make Him number one like He's asking, He wants to be number one. He said, uh, Jesus said in Matthew chapter six, seek first the kingdom of God. Not go to your job and go to your family. I was listening to a message this past week by a pastor in. Uh, He did a message, I think it was last year, uh, for 2009 going into 2010. Or maybe 2010 going into 2010. One of the past couple years. And he did a New Year's message called, Don't Put Jesus First. Yeah, got my attention. He said, don't put Jesus first. But here's where he was going. He said, put Jesus in everything. See, we make these lists and we say, I'm going to make more time for Jesus. I'm going to make more time for church. And then we put our family and then our careers and our finances. And he says, put Jesus in your career. Put Jesus in your family. Put Jesus in your finances. That's great. Because here's what happens is we make these lists and something gets bumped down, which means we're doing less. He says, you still need to spend time with your family. Just put God in it. You still need to pursue your career. Just put God in it. You still need to do right with your finances. Put God in it. But God is looking to be the priority. You will not see anywhere where he says, put me somewhere in your list. He's saying, make me the list. And then everything else will be taken care of. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and what? All these things will be added. It's like we, we, we're afraid to go after God because we, feel, uh, we, we fear not being able to do well in our job. Or we, we, we fear not being able to make enough money for our families. Or we fear our kids not growing up the way we want. And he's saying, make me the priority. I want to be first. Now, when he says first, do you think that he wants things under it? You know, in fact, when he uh, gave the Ten Commandments, he says, uh, uh, he basically says, put me first. But do you think that he wanted other gods in there second? No. Why does he say that? Because he's saying, if you put me first, you'll realize that's all you need. you realize it'll stop there. If you seek me first, that's all the seeking you'll ever have to do. If you seek my kingdom, that you won't have to seek your job. You won't have to seek finances. They'll come seeking you. They'll come running you down. They'll come hunting you down. Okay? Put him first. Abraham was one of the wealthiest men in the entire Bible, but he put God first. He left the land that he knew. He left cattle. He left family. Left it all behind for a place he didn't even know where he was going. And he became one of the wealthiest men. He ran into kings. How many of you have ever talked to a king? He ran just on his journey. Talk, talking to kings. Hanging out with kings. Getting invited over to kingdoms. I mean, you can't get any better than that. And then the kings are giving him stuff. Here, let me give you some of this. And that's how he became wealthy. Being obedient. Being obedient to God. So look at Israel doing exactly what God has just asked them not to do. Just made a covenant. Remember, a covenant is a two-way street. Well, I'm in covenant with God. Are you? Are you doing your part? Because his part works if you do your part. That's the only part. So they're just breaking covenants. Now, here's what happened with Judges. Because God still is king. And he's king of his children of Israel. He's the king. He's the ruler. He's the final say. But here's, the book of Judges is a crazy book. It's a circle. Let me tell you. Israel sins. God gets angry. Enemies come, destroy them. God, I'm sorry, I won't ever do it again. God brings a judge to get them out of their mess. So this is where we get Deborah. Uh, This is where we get Gideon. This is where we get Samson. This is where we get these people. There were six of them, six judges throughout the book of Judges that came up that God would raise up to get his man. Samson came in because the Philistines had overtaken the children of Israel. But every time they got redeemed, they fell right back into the circle again. Worship other gods, live in sin enemies come I'm sorry here's a judge we're good let's do it all over again live in sin and just go right on down throughout the entire book of Judges that's what Judges was but God is still trying to get his kingdom in the earth still trying to show them that you're my people you're the ones that I want calling the shots you're the ones that I want doing my will you're the children of Israel Okay? We gotta move. Samuel, 1 Samuel. After 1 Samuel, uh, we start to close. Just to let you know. Okay? First Samuel. Is this good? <clears throat> this is the Bible in a nutshell for you. First Samuel chapter 8. Verse 5. 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 5. Now, here's what we got. Verse 5. and These are people talking to Samuel. Samuel's a prophet. He's a prophet of God. They said to him, Look, you are old. That's nice. Look, man, you're old. And your sons, they don't even walk in your ways. So Samuel's sons aren't even following God. Now, make us a king to judge us. Look, like who? I thought God said that he wanted them to be better than all the nations. I thought God said that he wanted his people to rule. They just want to be like all the nations. So verse 6. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king. Why? Because Samuel's thinking, you have a king. God is your king. So Samuel prayed to the Lord. Verse 7. And the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you. They have rejected me. They have rejected me that I should not reign over them. They're rejecting God as king by asking for a king. So you know what? They got a king. The very first one out the gate. King Saul, big tall guy, really from the smallest tribe, the tribe of Benjamin, uh, was a real shy guy. In fact, he was trying to hide. And Samuel found him. God showed him to him and said, this is your man. But he was the people's king. And we know what happened with King Saul. He gave himself over to disobedience. See... God would send King Saul in to take over countries. And sometimes he would tell them, you could take spoils. You could take these people. You could take this cattle. But there was this one time he came against the Amalekites. And I've got a whole uh, sermon on this one battle. Because the Amalekites is awesome. It goes all the way back to Genesis. And God tells King Saul, get rid of the Amalekites. Get Get rid of the king. Get rid of the people. Get rid of the spoils. Get rid of the cattle. Do not take a thing. Well, King Saul goes in, and he does what Adam and Eve did. He does what the devil did. He does what the people in the wilderness did. His own thing. He lets the people take the cattle. He lets the people take some spoils. He he takes some people as slaves, and he... Ultimately, he kept the king alive. So Samuel shows up, a prophet, who anointed him as king.